If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is Cake by the Ocean by DNCE. If uh, you, this is one of the uh, most viewed music videos of all time. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, join our Facebook group, our ever-expanding. Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Well, I must confess, I have been looking forward to this moment for a couple of weeks now. And um, whenever this occurs, I'm always annoyed with myself for not having our next guest on the show more often because there are so many issues that I always want to pick her brain on. And uh, she's so knowledgeable, so passionate, and quite frankly, so often so entertaining about uh, all of her opinions, whether they're related to politics, the law, or the movies. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome back attorney, author, political commentator, and film critic, Debbie Schlussel. Debbie, it is a treat to talk with you again. Welcome back. Well, thank you so much. What an intro. I'll tip you later. <laughs> Debbie, um, I want to pick your brain on a couple items in the news before we get to movies that people may have the option to see this weekend. Uh, first, uh, a story that got a lot of attention this week I've been particularly eager to get your take on. That is the uh, John Durham report on the FBI investigation into President Trump. And I'm eager to get your take because you, while you're a conservative I wouldn't necessarily call you a, you know, a Trumpaholic, and uh, you've been very critical of Trump when need be. You're not a Trump automaton by any means, and I always get the sense that you kind of call it as you see them, irrespective of the political personalities involved. That being said, what did you think of uh, what came out in the Durham report as it related to the FBI? Yeah, well, thanks. You're right. I'm not a Trumpaholic. I did vote for him three times, including one time in the primary in Michigan. Um, but I was never I, – I, I thought he did a lot of great things as president. I was happy with my vote. But personally, I did not like him, and I don't like a lot of the things that he's done since uh, leaving the White House. Um, but what did I think of the Durham report? Well, um, what happened with the Durham report is exactly what I predicted. Every time I've ever talked about it, um, there's a one radio show that I did every Friday, and – that radio show went through several incarnations with one host. Then he had a, a co-host and so on. And each time we talked about it, he kept telling me, oh, he is going to hammer these people. A lot of people are going to go to jail. That's will roll. 
And I said, no, you know, I really don't think anything is going to ever happen with this. I like to be an optimist, but I think that most of the people that did the Trump-Russia investigation who knew what they were doing, who had agendas, uh, not much is going to happen to them. And really, only a few other people are going to take the fall for the people who really did it. And I think, unfortunately, I've been proven correct. I think that this whole investigation ended with a whimper. Nothing really ever happened with it. As you may recall, there was um, an FBI lawyer who took the fall for someone, and then there was another FBI lawyer and her extramarital boyfriend, who was an FBI agent, who both had an agenda and who said before the election, uh, when Trump first got elected, that they would make sure he was not going to get elected and so on. And they were, I think the woman was Lisa Page, maybe. And and the guy has that name that none of right. us Peter, know. Right, Peter Strzok with a weirdly right. placed Z in there. Right. So he those were the only two. And I think the only reason they took any kind of fall whatsoever was because, I mean, their text messages were really blatant. And they had, uh, they had an agenda. Um, and you know what? They were stupid. They could have exchanged text messages on private phones. And we would be none the wiser just to them. Um, but they did this on their FBI government-issued phones. But other than that, nothing really ever happened to anyone. There was that lawyer whose name escapes me, and I can't remember. But there was a, a male lawyer who who uh, had criminal charges, and he had to resign. And he probably lost his law license because of that. But other than that, whatever happened? Nothing. So, so no big and deal, basically. Me, you think? Well, to me, no big deal of what happened and what um, John Durham found. But I, but to me, from the beginning, everything with this Trump-Russia investigation was the kind of thing that the that the Soviet Union would have done back in the days of the Soviet Union, or what Vladimir Putin does now as a former KGB top official. Um, they investigate people that they don't want to be elected, and they try to pin things on them and hold these crazy hearings. I never supported any of the impeachment hearings for Trump. I didn't think there was any collusion. And Durham basically said this investigation should have never happened, and it was completely partisan and put on. Um, what they really should have investigated, and which never really happened to me, I think it's disgraceful and shameful, is that Hillary Clinton and officials in her campaign uh, lied and they were the basis right. at the very beginning for this whole investigation. And they were the ones pushing this. They really should have been investigated more and things should have happened there because, I mean, this really was a political witch hunt, as Trump had said. Let uh, me so go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your, finish your so I was just going to say, I, I just think that this kind of thing should never have happened in contemporary United States of America. It, it is a Soviet-style kind of move, and nothing happened to these people. Nothing. Let me, let's talk about your guy, DeSantis. He is uh, being criticized in some quarters today for what's happening with, with Disney. Uh, so, some of his critics are saying that um, 
It's Governor DeSantis that just lost Florida a billion-dollar Disney investment and 2,000 jobs. Even uh, President Trump, who obviously is a likely rival of DeSantis, issued a statement saying DeSantis' failed war on Disney has done little for his limping shadow campaign and is now doing even less for Florida's economy. It looks like DeSantis may announce as soon as next week. Where do you think his presidential campaign stands now, and do you think he's making a mistake with this war with Disney that he's embroiled in? Well, I yes and no. Uh, first of all, I think it's getting him a lot of attention with conservatives. He's actually doing something that a lot of conservatives have complained about what is going on with the culture war, which basically we've been losing. And I think a big reason why we've been losing it is because we complain about it, but they just steamroll ahead forward. And they do whatever they want, the the people on the other side of the culture war, where anything goes, and pushing the envelope uh, further to the point where there's there's not been an envelope for a very long time. Um, he's the only one, really, who has done anything about it. A lot of people, you know, we, we see Christy Noem, who might run for president, also the governor of South Dakota, for years complained, for example, about uh, – male to female athletes competing against actual female athletes in sports. And then when it came down to it and her legislature, which is mostly Republican, passed a law against this, she wouldn't sign it. She vetoed it. She claimed, oh, it's because of legal reasons, blah, blah, blah. No, it's because she doesn't have any cojones, literally and figuratively. Um, And I think DeSantis has signed bills on all of these things. So he actually has put his money where his mouth is. If that's wrong, then maybe we should then maybe the conservative movement, maybe the Republican Party should just give up the culture war and just be Democrats light, like conservatives are in countries like Canada, the Great Britain, Australia, and so on. They're really not conservative. They're just moderate Democrats. He's actually doing those things. Now, is he losing jobs? Sure. Um, and maybe in the short run, that's a very, very bad thing. But in the long run, do you really think that Disney's going to pick up and close up Disney World in Florida and move everything to some other state, like maybe Alabama, Georgia, somewhere else in that region? It's not going to happen. So he is standing his ground. I do think sometimes conservatives do pick certain things of the culture war that they've already lost, and they're not going to win it back. And that's a mistake. And I think with some things with Disney, maybe some things should not be pursued. But I I think in the long run, he's really uh, the only one who has any courage to fight Disney. Disney has always thought, well, we employ lots of people. And a lot of companies feel this way. We employ a lot of people so we can do whatever we want. And nobody's going to do anything. Nobody's going to stop us. Politicians are all on the take with us. Our PACs give them money and so on. And at least he's got the guts to say, nope, I'm sorry, you don't own me. You don't own Florida. And listen, DeSantis is as popular as ever. So we'll see what happens. But I'm actually proud that he's not towing the company line. 
Uh, talking with Debbie Schlussel, uh, you could check out her uh, website at uh, DebbieDoesPolitics.com. A lot of interesting commentary on there and uh, links to a bunch of other ar- archives of things that she's done. And you could also sign up for her mailing list, etc. Uh, Debbie, I know you used to go on Fox News a great deal back in the day, maybe not so much these days. And you have been very open about your uh, views of various personalities on Fox Roger Ailes' widow, um, for whatever it's worth, she released a statement this week, I think on Twitter, saying that um, Roger that uh, the Murdochs have wreaked havoc on Fox News and that uh, they have basically ruined Fox News and called their leadership of Fox News a joke. Uh, is that a sentiment you agree with, you disagree with, you partially agree with? What do you think? Well, I disagree that they're any different than Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes was not all that conservative. Roger Ailes was, I think, a centrist, but he knew that if he gave people something more conservative than what was being offered by all the other networks, he would draw in a significant percentage of the country because half the country thinks a different way. But I don't think he ever really gave – people what was really a conservative network. I mean, when he was the head of Fox, they were really pushing the global warming stuff. They had um, a lot of uh, global warming. They had, not a lot, I should say they had global warming specials. They were pushing this comprehensive immigration reform, which is basically amnesty. They were pushing some of the same things that uh, really would be catastrophic to America and are catastrophic to America that the left is pushing and that we're not so different from CNN. And so I don't know that Roger Ailes did anything so different. Um, but Debbie, let me and, ask you, what, what's wrong with that? Let's say he leaned centrist, but put out a product that a lot of conservatives enjoyed. Who cares necessarily what his politics were as long as he's putting out a, a product that is an, an antidote or an alternative to what people are getting on uh, CBS News, CNN, MSNBC? Well, so it's an alternative that says, well, I'm not going to really give you something that you want to see or that is good for you. I'm going to give you something just slightly different because I know you're so desperate for something different. You'll take whatever I give you, which is what I think he was giving. I think the Murdochs were giving that for a while, too, except then they realize that they have to spout whatever Trump people want to hear, whatever the mega crowd wants to hear, and we're going to give them that. So I think they've actually changed it a little bit in in that respect. But I, I think it's pretty much the same place. I think the culture that Roger Ailes fostered is still there. I think that's why certain personalities like Sean Hannity are still there. Um, and I think that this is why um, Tucker Carlson was, was allowed to remain there so long. Um, they they do care about ratings, and that's it. They don't care about behavior or conduct or anything else. And I think it was it was worse in that respect under Roger Ailes. Um, I had communications with Roger Ailes, and I know why he did not want to um, want to have me as a, a permanent Fox News contributor at the beginning. Um, and I, I know later on why I was blackballed by Sean Hannity and why Roger Ailes went along with that. So, and I know Rush Limbaugh actually once told me that he had lunch with him and he brought me up because with, he was with Roger to help Ailes me. or with Sean Hannity? Yeah, 
with Roger Ailes, and he told me, because remember, Roger Ailes produced the Rush right. Limbaugh sure. TV, TV show. show. Right. So he told me what Roger Ailes said about me and, and some of the things, and uh, I really think he was a lot worse for Fox News. I don't think it's really changed that significantly, and we know all the things that he fostered, and we know that Gretchen Carlson, when a lot of people didn't believe her at the beginning, she actually taped the conversations right. she had with Roger Ailes, and that's why Fox News gave her so much money, reportedly $20 million in a settlement. So I don't think he was all that great for Fox News, and this is a woman, uh, his widow, that I think was probably regularly cheated on and, and scorned, and hell hath no fury like that. But, I, you know, I don't think Fox News was all that great um, under him and that it's so markedly different now. Give us a hint, uh, Debbie. What what were some of the reasons that Roger Ailes didn't want you on Fox News? So Rush Limbaugh said um, that that when he mentioned my name, Roger Ailes said, oh, she tries so hard to get things that she's very aggressive to get them. And that's why I'm not going to have her on. And I was thinking, well, what does that mean? So somebody can't be aggressive to go after what they want. Did Roger Ailes never be aggressive? Did any of the people who are on that network never be aggressive? Of course they were aggressive. That's how they got where they were. And he also told me that a certain person, I don't, I'm not going to say the name, who's not even on Fox except for maybe like once or twice a year anymore, but who at the time had a TV show and was very powerful, um, bad-mouthed me and so on. But he, the things he was saying was basically he did not want aggressive women on the channel. And I'm thinking, well, every single woman that's on there is incredibly aggressive. And so is every man on there. I just thought a lot of the things he said were ridiculous. Interesting. Um, I, By the way, I do have a signed Roger Ailes book if anyone wants. Um, I'm thinking of putting it on eBay. Yeah, maybe we'll he do an auction online. That'll be fun. Is it personalized to you? Yes. Oh. And it's called you. It's called You Are the Message. And his inscription to me was, you don't need this book or my advice because you're already going on TV all the time, which I was <laughs> at that time. That's pretty good. Uh, okay. Yeah. I might put in a bid for that. All right, uh, Debbie, a lot of movies that people are going to be curious about. A film that's still doing uh, blockbuster numbers at the box office is the third installment, and I'm told it might be the final installment, although when you make this much money, I don't know that it's ever final, in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. I saw the first two Guardians of the Galaxy films. I liked them, but not enough to go out of my way to make a special trip to the theaters to see this one. What was your review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? I didn't really care for it. I really liked the first one. The second one was just okay. I could take it or leave it. And this one I thought was a total waste of time. It's over two and a half hours long. And it's it's a lot of eye candy. There are great sets, a lot of great costumes, with a few exceptions. Um, but just there's so much going on. It's very confusing. Um, supposedly, like you said, it's the last one, but that's what they always say. And they kind of set it up, um, at the end so that they can make another one. Um, I just think they could have cut out probably an hour of this and I would have been fine with it. Um, and just the story wasn't all, all that great. Not that people go to see this for the story, but, uh, the soundtrack, you know, the whole thing, a lot of it is that there's a soundtrack. 
that um, the Chris Pratt character's mother left to him. Uh, he doesn't know his mother, but he knows her through the music. I didn't think the music in this movie was all that great. Uh, the soundtrack, I just, I was just underwhelmed. It was lackluster to me. The uh, sequel to Book Club, Book Club, the next chapter. I imagine this is geared more towards younger audiences. Tell us, tell us about this film. <laughs> Actually, quite the opposite. It's geared towards middle aged and older women. Um, so this is the movie with Jane Fonda. It's it's a sequel to the original movie with Jane Fonda, um, Diane Keaton. Um, trying to remember who else is in this well, movie. Uh, Mary Steenburgen, right? Mary Steenburgen and um, uh, Murphy Brown. What is her name? Oh, Candace, Candace Bergen, sure. Right. So I hated this movie. The first one I did not care so much for, but this one makes the first one look like a masterpiece. It's basically a lot of uh, dirty old women jokes that weren't funny and landed with a thud. Um, when they had the screening of this, they gave away a lot of free passage to it, and they mm. gave everyone um, vouchers for two free wine drinks. So, of course, people would be liquored up when they watched it, and, of course, they would laugh at everything that just wasn't funny. I just thought it was awful. Um, Hanoi Jane is in it, Jane Fonda, and she is so sculpt- so um, blown up like a blow-up doll. And so plastic surgerified that, and they show so many close-ups of her face and and her bad wigs and so on. I thought, like, if I had a needle and I went anywhere near the screen, everything would pop. Um, It just wasn't for me. Bad wigs, bad plastic surgery for all of them. And uh, the part of the movie plot is that Don Johnson is going to marry 85-year-old Jane Fonda. No, he's marrying 35-year-old so-and-sos. I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, tell me about um, tell me about uh, Carmen. I know this is a uh, a musical. Uh, what's this about? So it's not it it is musical in parts, but it's not the French musical. It's this Mexican movie where basically um, this woman sees her mother murdered um, brutally in Mexico, so she runs for the border and sneaks in with a bunch of illegal aliens like herself. And, of course, the uh, Border Patrol agents are horrible people. And this guy, the Border Patrol agent, murders two people in cold blood that are in her crew of illegals. And she has to try and escape him and another another Border Patrol agent who's a Marine who has PTSD and try to run to Los Angeles. Uh, but they're tracking her. You know, it's another thing. Again, I'm sure you love this film. Forcing our borders. Yeah, I mean, come on. Mexico enforces their borders, and we're they're allowed, but we're not allowed to do that. We have to allow an invasion, and as we've seen on the news, it's not exactly a good thing. So this is a thumbs down for uh, for this particular thumbs film. Thumbs down propaganda against secure borders. Please, no thank you. All right, finally in the queue uh, for this week, Fast X. Uh, Fast X is um, apparently, um, this is one of these big-budget Vin Diesel-produced films uh, that has gotten a lot of attention. It's playing everywhere. It's a five five times an hour, practically. What's this film about? Is this one, The Fast and the Furious? Yeah, so it's. It's um, otherwise known as Fast and Furious 10, 
But, yes, it's Fast X or Fast Roman numeral 10. Um, and I actually enjoyed this for what it is. Yeah. Um, I liked the first two Fast and Furious movies. I really liked Fast Five. I thought it was the best of all the Fast move, Fast and Furious movies. This one is not bad. I haven't liked any of the movies since Fast Five. I thought they were ridiculous, boring, way too long, and a mess. Now, this one is not a great plot or a great movie, mind you, but at least you can follow it. It's not so confusing. Um, and it's got what everybody goes to this movie for, which is not the plot or the story or anything else. It's fancy cars, fast car chases, and action. So, and this has all of that. And, and it's even though it's two and a half hours, I actually enjoyed it. This time went by very, very quickly. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to see this because I've never seen any of the uh, Fast and the Furious films, and so it's just I don't think it's really my thing. A very weak review for uh, the book club sequel, very weak review for Carmen, kind of a so-so review for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. If people are looking to see something this weekend, either in theaters or at home in one of the digital streaming services, that they just might enjoy, that might be a good film, what are you recommending, even if it's a few more weeks old than the last couple of weeks that we've gone into today? Yeah, you know, I can't even really remember what I recommended in the last month. Um, that I thought was really enjoyable or worth it. I just really can't remember. Um, you know, there are a few things on Netflix that I thought were entertaining, but I I feel like a lot of stuff nowadays is kind of wild goose chases. And I think, you know, the summer season is going to be starting Memorial Day weekend. And I think that's when we're probably gonna, going to see some okay things and things are going to start getting better. Mm-hmm. I know right now I've watched on um, Freevee, which is a free channel, and it's a free app if you have one of those TVs you can upload or uh, apps on, or if you could just upload on your computer. It's owned by Amazon. Um, I've been watching all the old episodes of the series called Bosch, B-O-S-C-H. It's a detective show. I really, really hmm. enjoyed it with Titus Welliver. I'm now watching um, Bosch Legacy, and season two, I think, is just coming out. Um, I, I I find that a very enjoyable series. It, it's very good plot. It's not too woke, and um, and it's the story is original. I enjoyed it. All right, Debbie, we're going to have to end it there. It's always a treat talking with you. Uh, let's do it again soon, and I'm always saying this, but come visit us soon, okay? Absolutely. All right, uh, Debbie Schlossel, check her out, DebbieDoesPolitics.com, DebbieDoesPolitics.com. You have any comments, questions, etc., give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.